This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Episode number 92 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here on the show. We are excited to have all of our listeners and viewers here for our Christmas special. We're going to be talking a little bit about recapping some St. Cloud State women's hockey, some St. Cloud men's hockey, talking a little bit of, I think, National Hockey League stuff as well, too. And we've got a pair of guests on the show and a pair of guests at Huskies men's hockey fans will definitely know uh, it's Brett Larson and Dave Shyak on together for some shenanigans and fun. You won't want to miss that one. And without further ado, a very short abbreviated center ice view news and notes and the Huskies illustrated weekly roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Off Noah and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup with both the Husky squads off until the end of this uh, end of this year. Um, NHL news is what we have to talk about. Uh, the big one just recently: the NHL Players Association and the league uh, both uh, submitting a request to withdraw from Olympic participation from the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. Um, again, COVID-19 has been uh, already impacting the initial schedule as it is. So a lot of games being postponed in the days up, uh, up into the, the league's schedule holiday break, which uh, actually begins uh, on tomorrow morning. Uh, the league had up till January 10th uh, to opt out of the, uh, the tournament uh, w- without any financial penalty from the double IHF. Um, there were some, you know, some tea leaves that said this was probably going to happen. One of it was, Noah, that uh, the uh, host country, China, said that there was a positive test for any athlete that it would be a mandatory 21 to five, 21 day to five week uh, incubation period, essentially. Uh, I shouldn't say incubation period. That doesn't make sense. Isolation. Uh, I mean, quarantine period. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's essentially the same thing, except the incubation. I mean, like you're kind of growing your some feathers and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, that's uh, when that was announced, I think a week ago, uh, that really, I think, turned the tide to the conversation. And now officially uh, the NHL making an announcement, the double IHF, at least as of now, has not formally announced uh, that they have accepted uh, that withdrawal or have made any sort of official plea. Uh, we'll wait on that. But I assume that would come soon. Could be as early as tonight after we record. Um, as we mentioned, the NHL, on pause and get that begins tomorrow that means 
any team's operations, practices, all that is shut down until um, December 26, 2 p.m. local time is when players and teams can resume, go back to facilities. That includes testing. So nothing can happen for those three days. So all the players, executives, uh, and coaching staff will actually get three days off of resting with their families and their friends. Um, and of course, much heftier schedule after the winter break, including the 14 game seven, December 27th. Um, so big news out of the NHL in terms of COVID as well as Olympic participation, which I know players were mixed about that, but I think overall uh, missing five weeks uh, and not only being from your team, but also the foreign country, I think that kind of sealed the deal for the decision from both the players association and the league. Um, other slight NHL news, as we mentioned before, this may be the one of the more final pieces on this long-standing story. We started in spring. Um, of course, this coming from TSN's Rick Westhead, who really kind of spearheaded the story. Chicago Blackhawks had the Kyle Beach, uh, the internal investigation. They've reached a confidential settlement. Now, the details of that have not been disclosed, again, as we mentioned before. Um, and this is coming from both uh, CEO uh, Danny Wirtz as well as co-owner Rocky Wirtz. Um, of the Chicago Blackhawks in a joint statement with the Kyle Beach's attorney that a settlement had been reached again any of those details as far as money are not disclosed but happy that there is one step closer to having this uh, all wrapped up and I, I one other tidbit too know what we should mention is it sounds like the Blackhawks in the league and I say league very vaguely because I'm not 100% sure that sounds like the Blackhawks and that uh, high school player at the time um, that uh, was assaulted by Kyle Beach. There may be some talks ongoing uh, with those two about possibly getting some a settlement as well. Yeah, um, some good news on that front. And of course, continuing, you know, that inclusion of diversity and trying to make sure that we are keeping players and personnel safe. We've seen this as a recent trend, not only in the NHL, but in other sports and other youth sports as well, too. So hopefully we are moving in the right direction. And it's been long overdue. We wish the best to Kyle Beach and of course, the Chicago Blackhawks, and the National Hockey League as they continue to move forward. Speaking of the NHL, it's been a smorgasbord of kind of topics as we wrap up here, the center is few news and notes um, in the NHL and also some international hockey. Let's start in the international stage. So we, and a little bit closer to home in the Granite City, St. Cloud State's own Jack Peart highlighting the defensive core for the U.S. World Junior Championship team. You'll hear a little bit more about that in our interview uh, with the two coaches later today. Um, and while uh, the U.S. Olympic team, uh, spearheaded by Minnesota Wild General Manager Bill Guerin, at least uh, as of this recording here on Tuesday night. So um, we'll have to see what that Olympic team is going to look like, first of all, and how Bill Guerin hopefully will still be involved and stay safe while doing it. Of course, doing a very good job for the Minnesota Wild in GM Bill Guerin, we trust. Next, moving uh, down south to where uh, Nick just visited, uh, kind of sort of ish, Tampa Bay's Andre Vasilevsky setting an NHL record for most wins in a calendar year with 63 now. Uh, he just bested the record of 62 set by Mark andre Fleury back in 2009. Uh, same game, Steven Stamkos, 900th career point for him that night as well, too. So a couple of things. Uh, moving on in milestone news, uh, in signing news, We've only got one signing on a player and one signing in the executive office. Let's start with the Detroit Red Wings forward, Robbie Fabry, a three-year, $12 million extension, 14 points in 28 games for the forward uh, this season. So kind of an interesting little signing there. It's a lot of money for uh, only 14 points, in 28 games, but anyhow, I digress. Let's move over to Vancouver. Uh, Pro scout Derek Clancy was named the assistant general manager to interim general manager Jim Rutherford for the Canucks uh, earlier this week. And uh, if you're wondering who the heck is Derek Clancy, 
former pro scout, uh, which Jim Rutherford hired, um, not Jim Rutherford, I should say they worked together during the back-to-back Stanley Cup championships in 2016 and 17. Clancy was actually there for 15 seasons since 2007. So talk about a championship winning pedigree. Vancouver with Bruce Boudreaux, Jim Rutherford, and now Derek Clancy kind of making the right moves, uh, hopefully trying to get that team out of the cellar. Maybe not so much this year, but moving forward as they still look for their um, actual general manager um, as Jim Rutherford is supposed to be the president of hockey operations at some point there. Uh, Second to last topic, moving out to the island. Kind of, sort of. New York Islanders finally winning a game at their new home rink, UBS Arena, about 10 days ago. We just haven't gotten a chance to comment on it yet. The team was 0-5-2 before finally besting the New Jersey Devils and solving them by a score of 4-2. So congratulations to the Isles after a pretty abysmal season, eighth in the Metropolitan Division right now. So it hasn't been that great for an Islanders team that we thought under Barry Trotz would have a much better year than they have. Well, let's move over to our final topic. And... A team that isn't doing so great either, but they get a return of a key player that was recently in a pretty big trade, Buffalo. Their forward, Alex Tuck, returning after about half a year um, with his surgery and rehabilitation. But we've got three players in the NHL that do have injuries. Los Angeles defenseman Alex Edler and Winnipeg forward Blake Wheeler, each respectively shelved long-term injured reserve, both of those guys with leg injuries, so wishing them the best in their recovery And then Colorado star Gabriel Landeskog expected to miss a week or two with a lower body ailment. And once again, welcome in to episode number 92, our Christmas special. We are pleased to have you here. And by we, I mean, Mr. Nick Maxson, as well as myself, Noah Grant. Nick, you got the festive lights behind you. It's looking good, looking crisp and clear. What does your Christmas look like? You got any big plans? I think, did you, did you do any traveling recently? What have you been up to and what are you about to uh, um, do in the next coming week or so? Was in the sunshine state for a little bit uh, this past week. Um, hence the, the little bit kind of late recording here, but uh, it and, was and, the, and, the, and the sexy tan you've got going on, but whatever. I'm not sure what you're talking about, but <laughs> I digress from that. I think that's just the colored lights that are uh, <laughs> at the amber colored. that are I think you look good. That makes one of us in the world. But anyways, so as, as we digress from that, uh, yeah, spent a little time down there. Um, it was for, for some productive uh, times as well as a little bit of relaxation as well. And uh, it doesn't hurt to wake up to 75 degrees and sunny and also to spend some time on the beach as well. Um, it's kind of the one place that I kind of really true, truly find a, a kind of a, you know, a real actual full body relaxation is when I can be by the beach, hear the waves and the water and uh, just sort of, you know, kind of take the rest of the world out of my, out of my head for a little bit. So that was nice to have happen um, this past weekend. As far as the uh, holidays coming up, uh, just spending time with friends and family, uh, nothing too crazy uh, local here in the Twin Cities area. Uh, and uh, again, just trying to enjoy that time a little bit because I know uh, uh, next week, things ramp up again for men's hockey as we will start prepping as far as the broadcast crew is concerned for the uh, uh, the second half of the home and home with uh, Bemidji State again, uh, St. Cloud getting the second half of that series uh, at the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. Um, so we'll, we'll just try to write out the rest of this week before we get right back to work and uh, uh, kind of go from there. Uh, but for Noah Grant, uh, besides being stuck in America's wasteland, excuse me, America's heartland, um, you know, what, uh, you know, what are your plans here for the holiday season? That was pretty, I'll give you that. that. That's, that's two points for Nick Maxson. That was pretty good. That was smooth. Um, 
Nick, uh, pleasure uh, to have you here as always and wishing you, of course, a safe and happy holiday um, in America's not so wasteland. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I will be just hanging hanging out here uh, in the desolate nothingness uh, um, here with family, uh, hanging out at the home, finally getting to come home for about seven or eight days and excited for the time off, excited to rest and recuperate. Of course, we've got I see this wry chuckle on your face and I don't know where your mind is going, but I'm scared to ask. Nonetheless, I. Uh, it's 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 sort of like this, you know, my comedic genius is like Tourette's that comes out of nowhere and it lasts for two seconds. Then when you want to revel in it, you kind of revel in because you're like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> because, you know, it's it's not something I ever planned. It just comes out of his mouth vomit half the time. So I just I don't know. I was just like, OK. Well, I know was, which I nice. know which clip I won't be using for any true <laughs> yeah. ever. So, nope. uh, I... <laughs> and and Nick goes, well, I'd like to see if I can get back and use them as a Twitter preview, but you got to remember the Twitter password first, and I think you're in trouble on that one. Nonetheless, I am going to be hanging out. It, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, it actually hasn't changed. You're just slow or old or old and slow. But nonetheless, speaking of taking things slow, like I said That's about, cool. let's be real. <laughs> Like I said, I'm getting, I'm getting you a cane for Christmas. Um, but like I said, well, you I can add, it. I say you can add it to your collection, but eight days off for me. And then a school doesn't actually start until January 10th. So looking forward to the time off, of course, we're not going to have a show on the 26th uh, upcoming here. Um, we're going to be back on January 2nd. So it's going to be nice to have that time off as well. Uh, speaking of things that we're not going to have for a while, we had our last trivia question in a little while. We won't have one on Christmas day, the 25th or on January 1st of New Year's. So the next trivia will be the second, the first real week of January, to be fair, but the second Saturday in January. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, That'd be the seventh. Thanks. Look at you. You're will welcome. it be the seventh? Are you sure? I think it'll or be is the it eighth. the eighth? I think it'll eighth. be the eighth. See, told, don't trust Nick Maxson. Don't, don't let him have his I moment. don't trust me either, so. <laughs> but nonetheless, I... Uh, some person that we should trust that uh, Nick Maxson and Caleb Peabody might be offended winning a uh, first time winner, Ryan Steak. Uh, how about that uh, for the W a soda pod aficionado um, Ryan, the subject of the question was actually Ryan Hartman, Ryan Hartman, four game winning goals for the Minnesota wild this season, this season high franchise record for game winning goals in a single season is eight game winning goals. That's held by three players. Marion Gavrick's done it twice. And which other two players, Nick, do you have any idea who these two players I, might be? I knew Brian Rolston had one. Okay. And yeah. More, and then more recently, I want to say it was Granny. Calgary Island, you are close. It's actually Eric Stahl. Um, 2016-17. Yeah. So that big that year, 42. Yeah, 42, 42 uh, goals yeah. that year. So um, so 2016-17 for Eric Stahl and Brian Rolson and actually Marion Gabrick, same year, uh, 2007-08, and then 2002-03 for Gabby as well. Unsurprisingly, career leader Marion Gabrick as well for um 43 game-winning goals for uh the man who didn't resign resign his contract with Minnesota. Now that that created a kerfluffle, but nonetheless, we have Kirill Kaprizov now. So who cares, right? Um, but speaking of having a game winning goal scorer and somebody who can kind of put the puck in the back of the net, there unfortunately there is a team Nick uh, in the Huskies land that could unfortunately use uh, an addition of that uh, offensive flair. Unfortunately, that's the women's hockey team as of late. So we're going to talk about some statistics. We're going to do the same thing for the men's team. Talk about some 
overarching stats uh, and see our thoughts on the women's hockey team's first half and preview the second half a little bit as well. So Nick, let's jump right into it. The women's team six, 11 and one overall they're two 11 and one in conference play four, three and one at home and two and eight on the road. They've lost their last four, unfortunately to both Mankato and Bemidji and some really tough tight losses, especially against that Bemidji um, team in that series. You got a chance to, you were on hand to actually see that, um, set of games as well too. So we'll get into that as well. Uh, just over two goals, four per game and giving up just over three and a half goals against uh, on the season, 27 and a half shots for and 35 and a half shots against. So getting out shot and a minus 26 goal differential on the season, unfortunately for this Huskies team. So of course the, the matchup, I think it was uh, Ohio or Wisconsin, one of the two, they had a 10 goal loss in that one that definitely doesn't help that margin by any means, but Nonetheless, the, the stats to get into here, 8.8% uh, on the power play and 80.3% on the PK, 47.5% in the faceoff dot, and they've taken four more penalties than their opponents. As far as players go, leading scorers, Taylor Lynn with 17 points on the season. She's plus three. Yanina Newland, uh, she's at 14 points on the year. She's plus eight on the season. Emma Gentry, she's got nine points, and I... Uh, excuse me, 12 points and Mackenzie Borgeray has nine points on the year. So um, McKenna Wessel following up with six and many of those players with five points on the season. So Emma Paluzny, she's got seven games to her credit, a three, one, five goals against average and a nine, 10 save percentage. Uh, Sonia Hola, the sophomore netminder really has taken charge this season. Uh, twice as many games played with 14, a three, seven, six GAA and an eight, nine, four save percentage for her on the season. And then of course, netminder Carly Reese in two appearances for this Husky squad as well. Nick, you got a chance a couple of weeks ago to kind of take in a little bit of that Bemidji state uh, series for this women's hockey team. You've heard the statistics some of them aren't so pretty. How many of those statistics actually correlate with the way the women's hockey team has been playing? And are there anything that, you know, maybe the statistics don't tell you that are actually brighter spots for this club? Uh, first of all, the statistics that do correlate is the lack of offense. Uh, was it just over two goals a game? Uh, I'm surprised it's actually over two, to be honest with you. A lot of the times this team has trouble getting one in the back of the net. So it's it's been a real struggle there. Um, some of the stats that don't really tell you the whole story, um, you mentioned Emma Paluzny and you also mentioned Sonia Ohola, uh, both of them over three goals against on average and just hovering just about, about a 0.90 save percentage one way or the other, just a little bit above or a little below. Uh, to me for how much action they get for how yeah. many pucks that are thrown their way. Those aren't terrible numbers. And they, we talk about goal tending statistic as real, more of a reflection on the team that's in front of them and not maybe necessarily the actual goaltender. Uh, that's essentially what I'm dictating. This as right now, uh, the team in front has really not given these goaltenders, you know, the best help uh, throughout the season. In fact, it's been kind of a, a running trend over the last couple of seasons that because that the team cannot generate and, and more, so they can't sustain offensive pressure uh, on the other end. That means a very large workload on the back end for these goaltenders. And again, when you're chasing the game, you're taking penalties, you're on the penalty kill quite often, which means again, your goaltender has to be your, sometimes your best player. And uh, for Sonia Hola and for both Emma Pulizny, uh they've been the best players on the squad now for a couple of years. And uh, it, it's unfortunate that they're not getting as much help in front of them. Um, so there are some bright spots around the hockey squad, but uh, it's just not enough. Unfortunately, I'll waste some of the negatives that have held this team back this season. 
Yeah. Uh, and like we kind of talk about, you know, the, the plus minus is kind of a double edged sword when it comes to that statistic, but only three players in the plus column, uh, uh, Taylor Lynn and Emma Gentry, a plus three. And then you need a new who has four less games played and is still plus eight sitting second in team scoring. She's been a real bright spot uh, for this Huskies team this year uh, in her senior season. And, um, you know, Nick, a- a- as we watch this team and-, and we watch, you know, some of the trends as well, obviously they're getting goaltending, you know, the defensive core, I think, has been sound defensively. You know, what what does this defensive core really need to do, though? You know, are are they, you know, part of it being a key piece in terms of kind of supporting the play? You know, it, are, have they been hesitant this year? I mean, what what is the defensive, you know, responsibility in the offensive zone? Have they been able to generate a little bit? Or do you feel like there's something left to be desired just based on the way the scheme has been? I think it's a lot to be left to be desired, to be honest with you. Now, mind you, when you play that aggressive defensive style, there's a lot of responsibility that's placed on your wingers um, and on your center uh, too, to make sure that you're covering for those defensive players that do pinch into the zone. Um, You've seen it here and there, uh, but I don't think just in terms of the way that the Huskies run it, it's not really um, kind of wound into their system. I think there's a lot of offense that's left on the table with a lot of their uh, defense that they're not walking the blue line as much. Um, I think they're definitely not pinching down. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where I was watching this team and there was an exchange from the corner to the point. And there was, instead of one player hanging down low and another one coming up to cover the point, it was two players that left to go towards the defensive possession. And uh, I suppose if you're the coaching staff, you would rather have two players go up than none at all. But at the same time, there's just, there seems to be a lack of communication or a lack of fully understanding the offensive structure to really make it efficient and effective. I think is the two best phrases I could use for that. Um, And part of that is when you're, when your offense, especially your, your three forwards are not in sync, that really does force you defensemen to stay back and to stay, you know, kind of pinched back. And that's what we are getting with this Husky squad is that they can't activate because they don't feel confident that someone's going to be there to replace them. Uh, number two, um, you know, again, what a lot of the play is on the boards and, um, you know, a lot of teams, you know, when you have defensemen that are essentially pawns, the blue line, it's very easy to cover them. So there are a lot of them are putting tight pressure on the defensive uh, partners up there. So they can't really move across the blue line and walk the blue line. So they're, they're left with little to be uh, to kind of contribute. So that to me is where it starts. Uh, they've got some good pieces in Dale Ross and Grace Wolf, the two freshmen. Uh, Dale Ross is an incredible puck moving defenseman who uses her feet well, really sees the ice well. I think she's a really good solid piece that they can build on. However, offensively, again, I think just, and it's not just, you know, one person or the other, but the entire offensive scheme just needs to open up, I think, a little bit more. And there has to be more work and more responsibility put on the wingers and that center uh, to to be in that big three to four person rotation, because that's what you see uh, with Wisconsin, how they do it. So absolutely, uh, the Minnesota Gophers use that system. That's how they're able to keep the zone time of over 45 to maybe 75 seconds at times. And that's how they tire teams out. Eventually, you just get completely tired and just can't defend and where the Huskies have really struggled um, in these past couple of seasons has been that second period, the period, the long change, they get hand in their zone for, again, it all seems to be almost a minute and a half, two minutes. And then by the time they finally get to the bench, they're dead tired. And we get to the third period, they just have no gas in the tank. So um, yeah, the defensemen are part of it, but I also do think that the Ford share responsibility of ensuring that, that the trust is there, that they can execute that kind of offense. And it just hasn't been put together for them this year. 
And we've talked about, you know, on the offensive side too, just having forwards that are calm and poised with the puck. I think a great example this season, finally taking that step. And we've talked about her before is Taylor Lind, you know, her ability to finally have poises. She's more, I mean, she's got 12 assists in the year. She's more of that playmaking player that we saw flashes of brilliance of that two years ago. And, you know, moving into, you know, last year and this season, but now she kind of puts it all together. I think, the challenge for this women's hockey team is when you're not having a lot of possession, then when you finally get possession, in the offensive zone, it, I don't want to say the puck is like a live hand grenade on your stick, but the, you know, there's not really any other way to put it where it just feels like you can't establish a cycle because you haven't gotten those they touches. Force it. Yeah, exactly. They force it. And you, that's, and I think that's been part of, you know, sort of the, the self you know, fulfilling prophecy is, you know, when they haven't been generating offense or getting that possession, when they finally do get it, all they want to do is put the puck on that. And half the time there's multiple players in front shots get blocked. Uh, they're forcing passers through areas that are low percentage. Uh, so again, it, it's, it's that kind of self fulfilling prophecy where um, it starts to spiral. And uh, we've seen that this season. It was something we would hope we would see a step, up from and we just haven't seen that consistently we've seen it a couple of times here and there but i think not to the level that i'm pretty sure the fan base for sure but no question this coaching staff hasn't seen yet either you know it's weird because most of the time and i think back to like the men's side we think so much about talking about simplifying the game it's almost like you want to see this team be a little bit more cuter with some of the plays you know being able to take that patience and that poise and make that extra play or buy more time and space or look for the better option. They're not, not to say that a shot on goal isn't, isn't a bad thing. We talk so much about how the defensive core needs a chance to be able to step up, create a turnover and then filter pucks towards the net. That's something that we've been missing as well too. But in addition to that, you know, having a player that, you know, is able to create and play make and, and, kind of rag the puck, create possession, create a scissor play, you know, something like that. Um, and they've got players you need a new one's a great example of that. Taylor Lind is really coming to her own. Mackenzie Bourgeray is going to be a bright spot. Emma Gentry is more of a shooter. You have players that can set her up with uh, those types of plays. And then she's going to find the back of the net with those as well, too. But Nick, before we talk very briefly about the schedule in second half, I want to ask, you mentioned Minnesota, you mentioned Wisconsin, Ohio State, now the powerhouses of the WCHA moving into whatever it's going to be. Their biggest piece and where they built their programs, for better or for worse, the way that you look at it, it is recruiting and it is building for the future in addition. When you look at this club, you talked about the additions of the freshman players in the back end. As you move into the future, is there more help that is necessary on the back end? Or do you feel like the forward group, especially, you know, with whatever Ian Newland does after this year, um, which group do you think kind of could use a little bit more of that youth infusion that starts to continue to produce? has to be the offense. Again, that's where the struggle has been. Um, and I don't think we talk about this enough. No, in fact, I don't think we've ever about this point, but the fact that this team struggles with time and space on the Olympic size sheet is concerning too. I mean, you got to remember too, that, you know, you know, when you get to some of these smaller ice sheets, uh, you know, this team really struggles. And so it's almost like, you know, for practicing, and Steve, yes, I'm talking to you and to Janelle and Molly uh, very directly. It's I, it's almost like you want to shrink the ice a bit for these ladies, you know, because again, you know, sometimes I just kind of feel like with that extra 15 feet, there should be a lot of things that you should be able to know in your head what to do to how to create and and almost utilize the space. You sometimes I think like the space is there, they just don't take it right. They're almost they're almost looking just at the net. They're not really you know surveying the whole ice sheet uh, to know that. 
if you're on the forecheck, you're coming in on a rush that, you know, your instincts to go in towards the middle of the ice when sometimes it's better just to keep the puck wide and to just kind of spread out the defense. Right. So, um, you know, I don't think it's enough that's being said about, you know, that, that part of the game is that when you have a hundred feet width wise to work with, and this team cannot produce offense, that's concerning uh, to me. And it should be concerning to fans and I'm sure the team as well. Uh, so, you know, to your point, you know, just utilization of time and space is, is huge for the squad. And uh, if they can get some players in that can do that, that can, that can have that high hockey IQ that can make plays. And we talked about it too, but they need a finisher too. And not just a player from the thing, but they need a person that can put the puck in the net. Um, seriously though, um, that's been big. Uh, Emma Gentry has shown that. Olivia Savar, first two seasons, have shown that. She's had a down year this year in terms of her production. Uh, so, you know, they, they need someone that can be consistently put the puck in the net. And uh, that's just, again, to me, that's got to be the top priority. However, again, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult recruiting, uh, you know, sort of storyline, uh, unfortunately, when your record sits where it's at right now. You know, we talk about it too, is obviously most plays have to come through the middle of the ice if you're any hockey player on any given team, but there's no reason to force yourself out of time and space for the sake of forcing yourself into traffic, if that makes sense. And I think when we talked about that playmaking ability, this ability for the team to maybe rag a puck or kind of, you know, pull the defense out towards the perimeter, then the, then the middle of the ice starts to really open up for this group. And then you get the grade A opportunity that you're looking for. Well, this Huskies team has a chance in the second half. Let's take a look at the schedule, Nick. It's a very uh, hard and heavy and very abbreviated schedule here. Uh, they're actually going to go toe to toe with the men's hockey team in this matchup, January 7th and 8th, both teams playing Duluth at the Herbrooks national hockey center. Then Herbrooks national hockey center. Again, Ohio state comes to town before uh, traveling to Bemidji state, January 21st and 22nd. And then Wisconsin comes to town at the tail end of what is going to be a very busy January for this group, February 5th and 6th. Uh, it's a home and home against St. Thomas before a subsequent home and home against the Minnesota golden Gophers. And then the final, matchup of the season before some WCHA quarterfinal action, February 18th and 19th up at Amsoil arena in Minnesota Duluth. So Nick final thoughts on the women's hockey team before we move to the men's team, what do they got to focus on in the second half of the, as they move into kind of playing for the end of that February in the WCHA quarterfinals? Uh, two things, uh, one game at a time. Uh, you can't, you know, look up to, as you mentioned, January 18th or the 28th or whatnot. Uh, you just have to take it one game at a time. Um, but you have to build on something too, right? And for them, it's execute the details. Uh, to me, there's a lot of details in the game that they're either cheating. I call them out before I'm going to call them out again. They are sometimes cheating, not engaging in puck battles or doing flybys of one hand or the stick. That can't continue to happen. Uh, that shows a team that does not have confidence to go into the boards and win a puck battle. Uh, got to go in there and work for it, right? That's just the uh, hockey's not a game that's handed to you. You got to earn every single uh, piece of possession of the puck and every single uh, uh, shot goes on net that's earned. So I think that those are the things they have to, to really just sort of, you know, commit to. I think that's the word that has to be thrown. They have to commit to the details. And if they do that, uh, and then again, just one shift at a time, you just win the shift, win the period, win the game, right? It sounds so simple. It sounds cliche, uh, but that's the way the team I say that they find is something to build off of. They can do that. You never know, right? Uh, things can happen. You can go on a run, uh, but you can't do that by looking at what's in the past. What's what's done is done. And it's maybe yet yeah, definitely the, the numbers and the results uh, are not pretty, but uh, it's over and done with. You can't go back and change it. But what you can look forward to is that empty uh, and blank sheet of paper that's in front of you. You can still write that storybook ending. And uh, it starts with game one after the holiday break. 
Yeah, putting together a good 60 minutes, trying to put together another one after that and continuing to build and have some character building wins on top of that. Speaking of having some character, why don't we move on to the men's hockey, our last topic of the regular portion of the show before we head on to our interview. Same story, Nick. Let's talk about some stats a little bit brighter here on the men's side, of course. 10 and 6 overall, 4 and 4 in NCHC action, and an identical 5 and 3 record at home and on the road. They've lost one game as of late. Of course, the loss to North Dakota is their most recent swing in a split. Uh, three and a half goals for per game, and just over two goals against per game. Of course, probably the St. Thomas and the UND matchups might skew that. But even so, uh, 32 shots for per game and 26 shots against, and a plus 24 goal difference. Now I mentioned St. Thomas, I mentioned UND. Take those two games out and make them one goal victories in the two blowout games. They're still plus eight on the season after all of that. So they are finding some production at the right times and even a clunker of a weekend against Western Michigan as well, too. Uh, 33.3% of the power play, one of the best that we've seen in recent St. Cloud State uh, franchise history, and just under 85% on the PK just over 52.5% in the faceoff dot, and they've taken nine fewer penalties than their opponents. Before I get your opinion, Nick, top scorers for this team, the guy that's been on the top of this list uh, and in the top of the H chart, I guess, technically, Kevin Fitzgerald, eight goals, 13 apples, 21 points, and a plus 11 rating for him. What a year he is having in his fifth year in the Cardinal red and black. Easton Brodzinski falling up just behind him, I believe leading the team in goals, nine goals on the season, 13 total points and a plus three marker for him. Yami Kranilis, seven goals, five assists, 12 points for him. Nick Purvix has 10 assists on the season and just a single tuck for 11 points and a plus two rating for him. So definitely more assist heavy for Nick Perfect. So I don't even know if he's gotten ramped up yet. That's a great sign for the Huskies. If he starts to find the back of the net, especially on special teams. And then a slew of players with 10 points, Nolan Walker, Zach Okabe, Vietti Mietin, and Jack Peart, uh, 10 points for him. Uh, and you wonder why he's a world junior candidate. Good for him. Uh, of course, on the goaltending side, David Rennick's been the man uh, carrying the workload for most of the season, 14 games on the season, just over uh, two goals against average and a 9-2 save percentage. Uh, great season for him. Jackson Castor looking strong in the three appearances that he's had, a 1-4-5 GAA and a 9-4-5 save percentage. And Joey Lamaru, one contest for him, 9-4-7 save percentage and just over two and a half goals against per game. Nick? A lot of ups and downs for this men's hockey team here in the first half. A good non-conference schedule minus, uh, you know, getting pulled back into reality, so to speak. <clears throat> and uh, some NCHC action that left them four and four. Um, what have you liked from the Huskies in the first half? And what things do you feel like they need to kind of clean up and build on for uh, the second half? Uh, liked the um, five on five play for the most part, although I do think there needs to be a little bit better execution offensively five on five. Um, but uh, again, specialty teams, uh, you mentioned the power play. Eventually that number will come down. There's no way that's sustainable. Uh, penalty kill was over 90%, but one of the things I need to clean up is they're just taking way too many penalties. Uh, that's the, probably the biggest uh, hurdle right now is disciplinary. They need to just be able to get, I guess, stay out of the box and, for Brett Larson, the squad, you know, that they're most successful when Brett Larson can run four lines and can cycle his players. And again, when you're killing penalties, that means guys like BT, guys like Sam Henches are now out there killing penalties. They're there to score goals. So uh, Sam Henches, hope he is uh, healthy uh, to come back after the second half of the season. We'll be asking coaches about that here a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but 
that's the big thing to me is discipline. Uh, if you can do that, you have everything else that's been going for you. Specialty teams are there. Five and five is there for the most part, maybe some lapses here and there, but again, ebbs and flows are just part of uh, the game of hockey. Uh, so a lot to like, uh, but again, I think their biggest hindrance that they can clean up their discipline and stay in the boxes uh, as much as they have. I think that does kind of correct some of those other, uh, you know, kind of uh, domino effects that happen because they spend a lot of time also shorthanded. Yeah, the penalty kill has looked uh, quite all right through this season. Dipped a little bit in recent weekends, but uh, still was looking all right before the North Dakota series and still is looking okay, too. Uh, and one of your biggest penalty killers, of course, Nick, as you know, as always, is uh, goaltending, right? David Rennick. And, you know, here's a guy that, you know, we've talked about the success he had early on in his career. And, and part of that was having a really good hockey team in front of him that didn't allow a whole lot of shots uh, on net um, towards the Huskies cage. But David Rennick, the Los Angeles Kings draft pick, you know, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, how, how would you rate his performance this season? I guess for me, uh, I feel like he's given Huskies fans a reason to believe I uh, ever since I uh, kind of pushing into tournament time last year. Uh, he's an eight out of 10. Um, again, I, you know, he's been good for 10 months, right? We wondered when we would see the step up. We saw it probably starting last February when this team, again, you mentioned sort of that, you know, what was that transition weekend? And that was again, them getting back buried up at Amsoil Arena uh, by Duluth. It was an ugly, just team was never even in that game. And it just sort of was kind of like, that, you know, that wake-up sort of contest for this club. And I, I think they just never looked back on that. And uh, we haven't really had that this season yet, which is good. Um, but, you know, it probably will happen. You know, and you almost kind of, you, you kind of want it to happen now versus later, right? And for the other good news is I don't think this team has peaked just yet. There's one thing about, you talk about the teams, you know, are they peaking too early? That's the one thing uh, I think that the, the, uh, the Huskies haven't done just yet is I think again, with Sam Hentges being uh, not playing more than I think he's what six games or eight games uh, so far this season. It's not much uh, having him back in the lineup. If and when he's healthy, is really going to give a nice spark offensively to the squad. Uh, he brings a lot of speed, a lot of determination on the ice. Uh, and so it, it, that translates back to David Rennick uh, for him. Uh, he's a guy that has taken that next up. He's, he's been level. Um, you almost wonder, you know, is there another level to his game? Uh, you know that the NHL, uh, the LA Kings are going to be looking at that. And if, if he can at least maintain this, uh, this team is still primed and ready. They have the experience. They have the offense. They've got the depth. They have the defense. Uh, and if he continue uh, his run, this this team could certainly be looking at going back to, uh, you know, the promised land and the frozen four this time in Boston and hopefully maybe uh, raising the first ever banner in school history. Yeah, trying to seal the deal in the 93rd season of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey. Nick, I want to talk about a couple of players. I want to talk about a pair of defensemen, and I also want to talk about a forward and a guy that I think is really coming to his own on the forward side. Let's start there. And, you know, a pretty good penalty killer and starting to uh, um, generate a little bit in terms of his responsibility at both ends of the ice. And you should hope so. He's a speedster and a guy by the name of Micah Miller, also another player with a high plus minus rating this season. Um you know, he's a guy that has started to get, be trusted on the penalty kill unit. There's no doubt about that with his speed and his ability. We've talked so much about his toolkit and his ability to kind of put all the pieces together. You know, how close is he to becoming that complete 200 foot player? Obviously, I would say no player is perfect. They're not satisfied. What has this year been for Micah Miller in his senior year? Have you seen a little bit of growth or what have you liked, not liked from him? You know, when you talk about players, you know, or, or I suppose anybody in life, right, when just that spark happens, right, where it's just something clicks, uh, you kind of see that from Micah this year. 
but I think what he's done is really embrace the defensive side and how that really sort of opens up opportunities offensively for him too. Now, granted, he's been kind of a special team, special, especially in the penalty kill too. We mentioned he hasn't gotten many opportunities as far as the power play is concerned, uh, but on even strength, right? He's a guy that he's always on the right side of the puck. Um, he plays, like I said, a little bit of that grit, that sandpaper. Um, finesse, he's, he's got tools to it. I think that if there's anything that's maybe, you know, we're going to put his tools in, you know, kind of a percentage or a pie chart. Um, he's still that finish to his game is still probably the one that is ranked some of the lowest, but it's starting to climb a little bit. And I think for him, it starts with the speed again, uh, going back to his freshman year, for those who've watched this hockey squad for a bit, one of the big things that shocked me was uh, there was a loose puck, I believe it was a shorthanded goal, and he just completely mm-hmm. blew by Scott Perunovich there uh, against uh, UMD, and it, it was just one of those eye-popping moments, like, holy cow, this kid can skate, and then he went and beat Hunter Shepard, uh, I believe it was between the legs uh, on a shorthanded goal. Ooh. Yes, <laughs> yeah, who, right? Uh, for, uh, former uh, Hobie Baker winner. Yeah, my goodness yeah. gracious. Uh, so he's got it. And I think a lot of it's just you got to trust to know that, you know, the, the defense creates the offense. And again, the offense, you know, it's, you know, it's that revolving recycled circle. And for him, um, taking care of his own end has been really good so far this year. Um, and I think the goals in the, uh, in the offense will come a little bit more, but uh, you're starting to see a little bit more consistently that 100%. Uh, on both ends of the ice for him. And uh, it's really going to benefit this team, especially down the stretch and hopefully in the playoffs as well. Yeah. Eight points on the season for him. Uh, just pushing right under that group of 10, uh, 10 point players that we had mentioned earlier and best of luck, of course, to him in the second half. Uh, speaking of the second half, how about the back half and the back end, if you will, uh, in this Huskies hockey squad and some of the younger bodies that have gone there first, I think we should comment very briefly on Jack Peart. The season that he's had, had a little bit of injury bug there, but came back and uh, has looked true to form. And another guy that I want to talk about too, um, Josh Lidke. Uh, and how hard that he has worked and continued to kind of grow and develop. Um, it, it kind of, uh, if Mason Salquist is the bulldog in the front end, well, he's the hound dog on the back end, if you will, with his work ethic. Uh, what have you liked from those two guys? And uh, is Jack Peart deserving of his world junior championship call? You uh, First of all, you don't get a call if you don't deserve it. We'll put it to yeah. you that way. No, he absolutely deserves it. Um, and the, the coaches, I think, will we'll break down uh, a little bit more in specifics. And so I won't uh, I won't spoil too much of that interview. But no question, Jack Peart deserves to be where he's at. Um, you know, it was kind of surprising that he wasn't initially brought on. But, uh, you know, things eventually worked out for him. So I'm did, happy for him there. Did, did you hear that he was Mr. Hockey? Never heard of that. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a, he's a solid player. Um, and again, true freshman, 18 years of age. And he's a very mature kid for some yeah. of his age. I think that's what really separates him from a lot of maybe other kids, his age is that he's just very grounded, very down to earth. Um, you know, understands what it is to like to be a division one athlete and what it takes to, to be there and to sustain there. Um, you know, so he, he, he's absolutely deserving of having that call and we wish him the best of luck um, up there. And I believe it's a Calgary or is it Edmonton uh, that are hosting the world juniors. It's one of those two cities um, either way. I uh, feel like it's Edmonton, but I'm probably wrong. So somewhere in Canada, how about that? We're saying <laughs> Alberta. So Alberta. Yeah, there you go. But uh, at the end of it, uh, no, more than deserving. And I think he's going to have an awesome impact on Team USA as they try to uh, get a goal for gold up there uh, against uh, which probably will be uh, Canada and some of the other programs that stand in their way. 
uh, but Josh Ledke, uh, a guy that came in, um, Luke Jacobs was the defenseman that uh, kind of had that sixth seventh rotating defensive spot. Um, and Josh Ledke sort of outworked him. Um, and again, he's a player that uh, the coaches will uh, talk about a little bit later. So I won't uh, steal too much, but uh, he's, 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 he's kind of taking that position away from uh, Luke Jacobs. I think there's a little bit more offensive upside to Josh Ledke. I think he's got a little bit better speed uh, defensively. He's still got some things to clean up, uh, but overall, um, he stays with the play. Uh, he keeps players to the outside. Uh, he's really good with his feet exiting the zone. Uh, just maybe that first pass, maybe maybe a little bit of overreading again. That's maybe more of just freshman nerves about just not you know making that first pass incorrect and just try not to create a turnover in the wrong areas of the ice. But overall. Growth of him has been very, very good, and uh, love to see how much he continues to, to step up here in the second half of the season. Yeah, Brendan Bushy kind of ended up in that same spot as Luke Jaycox do, and part of the reason that is the guy that uh, has slowly and quietly gotten better in a Huskies uniform, Andre Trayball, by the way, too. I got a chance to check him out when he was at the Minnesota Wilderness back in the Null a couple years ago, actually teammates with Ryan Fanti, who, of course, is net mining for Minnesota Duluth, and uh, his offensive upside is great, but I think where his defensive game has really flourished, and he's become a really good puck-moving defenseman that has been solid on both ends of the ice, and there's another guy that I've been impressed to as well. Nick, I got one final question for you. So let's take a look, of course, at the schedule for the Huskies here. Um, and like we mentioned, Bemidji State, December 30th, January 1st, and then home and home. And then it's Minnesota Duluth, same as the women's hockey team, 7th and 8th of the Herbrooks National Hockey Center in January. And then the routine trip to Denver, Colorado, a, a series that has predominantly not been so kind to the Huskies, January 14th and 15th. We'll see if they can change that trend around uh, before coming home to face Miami, January 21st and 22nd. And then some team in Grand Forks, Ralph Engelstead Arena in the wasteland, as Nick would say, January 28th and 29th. Uh, the North Dakota F and Hawks uh, get the call uh, um, and host the St. Clos State Huskies February 4th and 5th. Uh, the following weekend, Western Michigan comes to town. The Huskies looking for a little bit of revenge there before a week off in the middle of February and then traveling down to the Omahomies, Nebraska, Omaha, 18th and 19th of February. Only a couple more weekends, uh, four more games in the docket, February 25th and 26th. Colorado College uh, will come to town. And what is actually a later matchup between the two clubs comparatively to when CC usually ends up uh, at Herbrooks National Hockey Center. And they've usually given the Huskies a pretty good run for their money in the fall. We'll have to see their performance in the spring, of course, uh, as well. The Tigers will be bookended by the usual trip up to Amsoil Arena March 4th and 5th. Minnesota Duluth, the Bulldogs hosting the Huskies March 11th. NCHC quarterfinals, March 18th, NCHC frozen faceoff, 25th and April 7th, the regionals and NCAA frozen four appearances. Nick, as we move into the second half, what do the Huskies got to do to find those all important couple of handful of wins to vault themselves into a top three, top two, even top spot in the NCHC and punch their ticket very well into the quarterfinals, the frozen faceoff and the regional tournament of the NCAAs. Well, we talked about this all the time, Noah, so it's going to be kind of a cliched answer, but every game's important in this league, right? I mean, if you look at Miami, they're, they're, I mean, their record wouldn't say it, but they're still a tough out. Um, again, we played North Dakota well game that split. It was uh, uh, a team that the Huskies, again, we talked about, was maybe running a little bit of, a, of an internal illness uh, when they were facing the uh, the Fighting Hawks. So that second half, uh, I should say the second half of that series, you could tell that this uh, the gasoline tank wasn't as full as it probably would have been um, and probably had too much fun on Friday. We'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> at the end of it, <laughs> 
at the end of it too, it's one game at a time and it just has to be done that way. I mean, this is not going to be an easy road. Again, Huskies, one of the toughest schedules when it was released back in the, uh, the uh, late summer, early fall. Um, it's good that this team is going to be battle tested, but again, you have to find it with some consistency. It's going to have to come with uh, the five on five plays I mentioned before. It's going to have to come with reducing their penalty minutes and giving their penalty kill a lot less opportunities and uh, just really forcing the opposing teams to earn um, every inch of ice and earning every goal. And again, when you give them a uh, man advantage um, on the power play, despite having a penalty kill, that's uh, just a uh, shade of uh, close to 85%. Uh, that's just one too many freebies. That's playing with way too many fires. And again, as teams get better, including the Suskies team, that means their specialty teams are the ones that also get better as well. So uh, you can't give them, uh, you know, those free looks. And uh, I think, again, that's the one anchor you can lift and probably easily too. I think there's some, uh, a lot of those penalties that have been given have been sort of those careless stick kind of infraction penalties that mm-hmm. you know, probably didn't need to happen. So it's an easy disciplinary fix. And I know that the coaching staff will probably talk to the team about that. Um, and, and again, if you can find a, a little bit of that consistency, especially towards the end of February and into March, the NCHC tournament, um, that's going to bode well. Because again, there's these top six teams in this league. Uh, they've been at least at one time ranked all in the top 20. Uh, Western Michigan now in the top three. So that's not going to be an easy battle, but one game at a time and uh, just have to you know, grind it up one shift as well. Yeah, Western Michigan has got a tough gauntlet as well, too, as do most of the teams in the NCHC. It's going to be a real dogfight for home ice this season. Uh, and, and, you know, like you mentioned, taking care of some offensive zone penalties, not taking those, and then a little bit more five-on-five play, even if they can find a little bit more production or just be a little bit more consistent in that piece as well, too. And I think the Huskies will be just fine because when their transitional speed is rolling, a la against North Dakota Friday night on December 3rd, uh, Impressive, impressive to watch in this Huskies team looking for that veteran experience to carry them through in all of those aspects. Speaking of veteran experience, Nick, um, your veteranness was joined by more veteranness, and that would be uh, Brett Larson, Dave Shyak, and the wealth of intelligence at the Division One level uh, in this interview. Nick, uh, you know, what did you like from this interview? Was there anything that fans should be looking forward to here? Uh, we put the two coaches up against each other, and uh, I'll just tease it with that. It was quite uh, quite entertaining. I, I still can't believe you actually trusted me to, like, put together a segment like that. I mean, you know. It, what am I supposed to do, say no? Well, you had a chance to proofread the questions. Like I said, you were you were the auditor at this point. Yeah, and you didn't I've never say- been an auditor of this. We talking about <laughs> never. And, and you, uh, you, you didn't say anything to me, so I figured that the questions were just so bad that you were like, well, we'll watch this crash and burn. But nonetheless – We'll leave it to the viewer and the listener to decide what uh, what sort of a fire they thought this would be. I thought it was pretty fire myself, but we won't keep you waiting. Uh, episode number 92 is Healthy Scratch interview segment for our Christmas special, Brett Larson and Dave Shire. to the Huskies Warmer Nose podcast, episode number 92, here with along with Noah Grantime, Nick Maxson. And today, for a holiday special, we're bringing in coaches from the St. Louis State men's hockey team. Of course, we have head coach Brad Larson, assistant coach Dave Shayek. Both of you joining us here, recording early. Thanks, gentlemen, for joining us here on the podcast. Thanks for having us on. It's awesome. Thanks for having us. Been a pretty good start to the season, uh, halfway through. Uh, probably a good needed break, though, wouldn't you say, uh, their head coach, Brett? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think a lot of teams are probably feeling the same way. It's been a strange uh, strange first half in some ways. Um, you know, just with – it's funny, you know, we, we battled COVID and went through all the protocols last year and whatnot. Uh, this year it's been the flu. A lot of teams, uh, including us, got hit hard with it towards the end of the first half, and uh, – Boy, I don't, I don't know if I'd ever seen our, our team is sick. And I know I was hearing 
some of the things from the other teams as well. So as much as you'd love to keep playing, I think the break came at a good time this year. You know, and, and part of that, uh, going back to my nursing background, just happens to be, you know, so many people were, were wearing masks at this time last year. So, of course, now you have the opportunity for that flu virus to, you know, kind of uh, transition. But nonetheless, uh, Dave, I kind of wanted to pose a similar question to you. You know, you, you play North Dakota the first week of December, and now you've got that time off until Bemidji. You know, what is the process like for, you know, making sure you guys stay fresh as coaches? Obviously, you're probably doing a little bit of recruiting. How do you get the players to kind of stay fresh to make sure that when you guys are back in action at the end of December, you guys are ready to go? Yeah, great question. No, we had a planning place for the guys after the North Dakota series. Uh, we, we wanted to keep them energized. We wanted to keep them in as best condition as possible. So we actually, we built up a uh, small games tournament throughout the week. So we kept score every single day. Then there was winners announced at the end. We changed up uh, teams Monday through Friday. And the guys were invigorated. It created good energy. Uh, you put something on the line, uh, for example, food, stuff like that, or who cleans up the locker room to help out minks at the end. Um, and it was good. The guys had uh, good practices. The games were, were highly contested um, leading up into the weekend. We, we thought as coaches, it went very, very well. Uh, kept the energy high, kept the pace pretty high. And then during exam week, we, we had our strength coach, uh, Jake Franzik. He did an excellent job with them, just keeping them mentally sharp, but also obviously they got to have energy to finish their exams real strong. So that was about a week and a half, and then they got a good uh, eight to ten days off, which, like uh, Coach said, uh, it's important that they get a chance to reset the button, go home, uh, have good food with their family and friends, just relax, no hockey, no school, and, and then come back the night of the 26th and get ready for the Bemidji Series. So uh, our plan in place was good, and we thought our guys followed it to a T, and hopefully we're energized by, by the time we get back here uh, next week. Definitely going to get to some fan questions as well. It's a little trivia between the two coaches here just a bit, but a couple of just housekeeping questions for you guys. Uh, two, uh, let's start with one. Uh, I know with uh, the rise in COVID or the NHL, I know some fans are wondering, um, and maybe had Coach Brett Larson, I'll let you comment on this one. Uh, has there been any communication as far as from the NCAA or the NCHC as far as any changes currently to the uh, COVID protocol? Uh, right now, there hasn't. Uh, but as we all know, going through this pandemic, things can change on a, a day-to-day basis. But fortunately, at least from what we're hearing around the college hockey world and our own experience here has been that, uh, that you know, up to this point, it hasn't hit us yet. Um, now, will that change? Maybe. Um, but for the most part, I know the guys are doing everything they can and um, they're trying to stay, stay as safe as possible um, and, and doing everything they can to stay healthy. But at the moment, we haven't heard anything. Uh, and I guess right now we're hoping uh, that, that we can dodge this thing. But like I said, it's as we've seen in the past, things can change overnight. Um, obviously, the some, some concerning trends with the NHL right now, as you mentioned. Uh, but as of right now, so far, we're, we're kind of uh, staying course. Yep. And the uh, second question, sorry, no, no one yep, cut you ahead. off there. Uh, Dave, I'll close this one to you. I know that uh, the fans have been missing uh, forward number 19, Sam Henches. Uh, I know before the North Dakota series, you're still considered week to week. Is there any update on his health and his status at all heading into the second half of the season? Yeah, he's had a long rehab. Uh, we think for the most part, he's, he's going to be ready unless things change for the Bemidji series. So obviously he's, he's followed it with Brian Domain all the rehab and conditioning that he's had to do. 
he did have some light practices, non-contact, uh, two weeks prior to the break here. And we think he's going to be ready to go. And we'll certainly be happy to have him back in the lineup if he's ready to go 100% um, when we play Bemidji on the 30th. Yeah, certainly excited, obviously, to get back in action and see some more Huskies hockey. Brett, I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, 6-2 uh, to start off the season in your non-conference schedule, then 4-4 four and four in NCHC play. It's been a real gauntlet, uh, not only around the NCHC, but I would say the Big Ten this year as well, too. Um, and, of course, you got a handful of those teams you saw um, already this season, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um how would you kind of summarize the first half for this team and what is kind of the stepping stone into the second half? Well, we obviously met before we before we left for Christmas. And uh, as tough as the schedule was and as tough as this league is night to night, you know, you're, you're just never quite satisfied. And I think that the team feels that way. I think the team understands and is humble enough to realize we have to keep getting better. Um, everyone else in the league is going to get better. It's, it's the oldest college hockey's ever been. I would, I would argue that maybe it's the best top to bottom college hockey's ever been. So um, do we like the start? Yes. But are we satisfied? Definitely not. Um, there were certainly a couple games where we thought we uh, maybe through our own discipline or, or our own mistakes, let a couple games get away that we'd like to have. And, and uh, so I think that the message in the room was um, let's really enjoy the break, take a deep breath, enjoy your families, enjoy Christmas, get away. Um, but let's be humble enough to know that we're going to have to come back and work even harder to keep getting better, to keep up in this league and, and hopefully have a chance to make a run. Um, we saw a lot of good things in the first half, but we also saw some areas that we have to get better at. So uh, I think it was promising. I think it was a good first half, uh, but I think there's a, a big time understanding within the staff and in the room uh, that we're going to need to constantly keep pushing to get better week to week to have a chance to make a good run again. Yeah, certainly. Of course, the series against North Dakota, a very good series. You got um, what you expected, I would say, on Saturday night, the Friday night contest. Uh, you'll take that all night. Um, uh, Omaha series probably could have stolen. Uh, um, you had a good goaltender that maybe stole a game on Saturday. Uh, the one I want to go back to, and uh, Dave, you used to coach not far from here and actually coaching there as well, too. What is it that Western Michigan has seemed to do so well lately in Kalamazoo um, against the Huskies? Yeah, obviously they they've been kind of a thorn in our side there a little bit, but uh, obviously I think they got good players. They're well coached. Uh, going into that building, I think I think there's a little bit of a stigma because it's a it's a great college building, low ceiling. Uh, they got the loss and lunatics there that are right on right on top of you. It's an older building where they got odd bounces off the boards and glasses and stuff like that. So when they get rolling in there, it's 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 a real tough arena to, to, to win in. Um, and we've went in there, you know what guys, we've, we played some great games. Uh, we can go back to last year. We didn't do so well on Friday. We came back, played very, very well on Saturday. And we did the same thing this year. Uh, we we're happy with our effort as coaches, but not happy with the result. And you got to give credit to them. They got some good goaltending Brandon Bussey on Saturday night, we thought we did everything we could. We, I think we outshot them. We outchanced them. We just didn't score when we needed to score. And you got to give credit to the other team. So they're a tough team, number one, guys. Uh, the building makes it a little bit more difficult. But you know what? It's a tough league as it is. And as Coach mentioned, there's probably six teams here that are going to be vying for 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 home ice. And, and we're one of them. And so is Western Michigan. And you got to learn from those instances. You got to find a way to win because if you can win in buildings like that, you can win in most buildings in the country. So we learned a little bit of a lesson about how we have to play effort wise 
And now we just got to get the results. And that's why, you know, we're looking forward to the second half here to make a strong push to get to where we want to get to. And uh, one final question for me before we get into some of the fan questions and I'll kick over a note to see if he's got one more, but uh, uh, coach Larson, how awesome is it to see uh, freshman Jack Peer to be selected, not only to uh, the prelim, but also make the final roster for the uh, USA for the world junior championship tournament. Yeah, well, we're obviously all really proud of him around here. And uh, I know his teammates are. I know the staff is. Um, you know, he's he's obviously been off to a good start for us. And what the fans see on the rink is is pretty special. And, and I know they appreciate that. But I think what's even more important is he's he's just a really good kid. He's a good person. He's a great Husky. Uh, cares about this program. Cares about his teammates. So with all that being said, he's a fun and easy guy to cheer for. And I know our guys are going to have the games on. And I know we will as well. And, and we're all really proud of him for uh, – you know what, earning that spot. And that's what he did. You know, he, he was, he was injured, unfortunately, during a, a part of the selection process for USA hockey and uh, missed some games for us. Um, so he was a late add to that camp. And I think he went in there with a, a chip on his shoulder, wanting to prove people wrong that he, that he shouldn't have been a late add. And, and I know he went in there and, and played his game and he earned that. So uh, like I said, he's just a, he's a great part of this program. He's a huge part of that locker room in there. And I know the guys and the staff are really going to be cheering for him. My final question, Nick, actually is on kind of a similar vein, and this one's for Dave. Uh, along with Jack, you never really know how freshmen are going to acclimate to the NCAA level. Um, how have you thought about uh, your freshmen and your transfers, of course, uh, um, Josh Litke, Mason Salquist, Ryan Roseborough, and then Aiden Spellacy moving over from Robert Morris? Yeah, they all bring a certain element and uh, usually takes a little bit more time for, for a freshman to come in to make that transition, especially with the, in the NCHC. And you know, we'll start with Jack there first. Obviously, you know, he's a tremendous talent and he's a true freshman. People got to realize he's only 18 years old and he's always kind of had this air about him. He's confident in his abilities. Um, he, he, he's smooth in how he plays the game. But there was some nerves early in the year. Uh, and I think throughout this year, we've expressed that a little bit on Friday nights in some of those games against Mankato in Minnesota, he showed some of those um, young nerves, if you want to call it that, but he's such a confident kid and humble kid the next night after having just kind of an average nervous Friday night's game, he was uh, probably the best player in the ice both nights or one of the best players on both teams of both nights. So it tells you a little bit about his maturity level, tells you a little bit about his talent level and the type of person and player he is. And I think after his injury, he started putting more back-to-back -back nights together. And I think that's what allowed him to get that invite to, to the World Junior Camp. And then with his ability and his, and his, I guess, new confidence in saying, hey, I can play at this level and be one of the better players. I think he demonstrated that in the I probably I think guys only had a two day tryout and he was able to crack the lineup there. So obviously happy for him, but um, he's made the transition quite well. It took a little bit of time to get consistency, but we think he, he's there. He's still got obviously a ceiling to improve. Josh Lutke, another guy came in, a tremendous person, tremendous teammate, uh, works very hard on and off the ice, great student, and he just got better and better and better every single day. And it made it difficult for us to get a lineup because he pushed to become a regular in the lineup due to how hard he works and his habits he's created in practice. Um, and then we got Aiden Spellacy's as I, as or sorry, I go back to Mason Salquest, uh, played earlier, uh, played some important minutes for us. 
uh, made a fairly smooth transition early. Probably the first 68 games impacted a lot of the outcomes of the game, scored some big goals for us. And as any young player, there's going to be some ups and downs. I think the last four or five games, uh, as the games got a little bit tougher, uh, he was up and down in his play, but that's that's part of being a, a freshman in our league. Uh, our expectations of him are very high. And another great teammate, another hard worker, another important piece of our success this year. And he continues to get better. Uh, Aiden Spellacy, uh, a transfer, obviously uh, a veteran in terms of what he brings to the locker room. Just a great character person, unbelievable work ethic, competes hard, probably leads our team in impactful hits. Is pretty good at the faceoff dot. Uh, does real good on our penalty kill. Another important piece uh, uh, of our success that he brings with his intangibles, and then uh, and R- Rossboro. Uh, obviously, he hasn't gotten a lineup yet. We knew it was going to take some time for him, but he continues to work really hard off the ice, and he's very close to getting in the lineup. He thinks the game well, starting to make plays, starting to be confident in his play, is getting stronger in his edges. And it just adds to our depth. So real excited about those newcomers. And it, it does take some time to make this transition. But all in all, real happy with the success our freshmen's brought in. And uh, also Aiden Spellacy is coming in as, as, as a transfer. So uh, excited about what they can do for us in the second half here. Yeah, we're excited as well, too. Nick, I think this is the portion of the show. I'm thinking maybe we do a fan question. Then we'll do a group of three questions on my side and kind of flip it back. So, guys, I uh, sure. Um, coaches, you guys don't know this quite yet, but Brett Larson has been a subject to a little bit of our trivia in recent past. What we've got for you guys is we want to know how well you guys know each other a little bit, not by much, just three questions for each of you guys on either side and then a tiebreaker if necessary. We've got a coaching question, a player question, and a current question about the current St. Cloud State hockey team. So we'll see how you guys are doing um, before that. So I think Nick will throw some fan questions in the middle of that. Nick, if you want to throw your first one out there. Sure. So the first uh, fan question we received was uh, here for you, head coach Brett Larson. And the question was when Mike Gibbons announced he was departing, uh, what about Dave Shayak, uh, you know, attracting you to bring him onto the squad? And, you know, was that transition from one program to another seamless or was there, you know, a little bit of a learning curve for, for the coaching staff? <laughs> well, put well for, <laughs> yeah, put me on the spot, but it, it's pretty easy because there were, there were two things that I personally, knew that I needed as a younger and I don't say younger, I'm not that young anymore, but a newer head coach, I guess. Um, I, I wanted somebody that it was a proven recruiter. Number one, because let's face it, the, the better players you have, better people you have around you, the more successful you're going to be. And obviously look at the results of, of Western Michigan right now. I mean, Dave had a huge part of building that program and that team and look how they're doing. That's, that says a lot right there. And then uh, I wanted to keep learning as a coach and Dave's time as a head coach, um, at the division one level at Alaska Anchorage for, I, I believe seven years um, was something where I thought I would uh, have a guy here that I could keep learning from that could help me grow uh, that knew what it was like to sit in the chair that I could lean on uh, to help keep improving. And uh, those two things for me, I thought made him a, a, a perfect fit for the job. Yeah, Dave, i uh, curious real quick before I ask the, the questions to Brett. Brett, I would hope would get the first question, judging by his answer here. But Dave, uh, how was the transition for you on the other side coming in as the quote-unquote new guy, so to speak? You know what? I think as hockey coaches, it's the when you move from site to site, I guess, or organization to organization, I, I think it's a small world. It's, it's, um, 
it's easier for coaches because obviously we've got a past relationship, myself and Brett. I'm getting to know Ollie. I knew Gibby really well because he recruited me. And um, that part was the easy part, guys. And he's, it's funny. I, uh, a lot of the questions I'm getting around the rinks locally because I got kids in high school is how, how has it been for the family? And it was probably more difficult for the family guys because we did move during the pandemic. And so I got three kids and none of them were in school because everything was online. So they were unable to meet new kids. Uh, for the most part, their activities were, were canceled. The boys got hockey. My daughters got volleyball. So there wasn't a whole lot of that. So it was tougher for the family to make the transition initially. And then I think this once the pandemic is settled down and they got back into school and started meeting new people, they've they've done a complete circle and the transition is like we've never we've never left my 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 daughter's got a circle of friends my boy's got friends uh we've intertwined with the, with the neighborhood and community so it's been really good this last probably year has been good but it was difficult at first uh for me i i think the hockey part was easy it was it was just new there was a newness to it there was a fresh start obviously great facilities here winning environment coach larson coach oliver did a great job with the culture here and it was just real nice to be part of that yeah it seems like um, a lot of players and coaches historically say that when they move to a new place sometimes the hockey part is the home away from home for a little bit till you kind of find your footing in the community but uh we're going to throw it over here to the first group of three questions. Um, Brett Larson, you're going to be answering the three questions. These are questions about Dave Shyak here. So we'll start with the coaching question. Oh, put me on the spot now. Yeah, should be good. Uh, coaching question, question number one. Uh, where has Dave Shyak coached for the most seasons in college hockey? Has it been Alaska Anchorage, St. Cloud State, Western Michigan, or Northern Michigan? Um, the most seasons... <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I really don't know. I'm going to have to, I'll guess Anchorage. Uh, it's actually Northern Michigan, 10 seasons, 1995 that, to 2005. Seven? Uh, Was it eight, seven at, at Anchorage and eight? Okay. eight at Anchorage and then six at Western Michigan. And then of course, one and a half at St. Cloud. I'm glad you didn't pick St. Cloud. Well, I'm glad I you had... St. Cloud. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll move on to question number two and uh, see what the answer is to. This is a question about Dave Shyak's playing days uh, during his playing career for Northern Michigan uh, and Murrayfield. What position is Dave listed as playing? Is he right wing defense center or left wing? Right wing. He is right wing. Congratulations. Got that one. One for two. All right. <laughs> Final. Yeah. Well, you know, these, these questions went through a rigorous um, polling and response process before they got here, Brett. So uh, final question. This one's about the current St. Cloud state team, which player on the current team has the most penalty minutes for St. Cloud this season? Is it Seamus Donahue, Yami Kranola, Jack Peart, or Easton Brodzinski? I'm going to go with Brodzy. It is Brodzinski, 32 penalty minutes on the year. Yami Kranola with 28. Jack Peart and Seamus Donahue both have 18. So two for three, not too bad, Brett, not too Brodzy's bad. Brodzy's going to turn that around in the second half, though, <laughs> I can tell you that right now. <laughs> I figured that'd be a question where you're like, yeah, that's not the greatest stat, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the we'll ask this uh, second fan question. I'll throw this over to you, Dave. Um, this uh, has to do with Kevin Fitzgerald. Uh, do you think that Kevin Fitzgerald, with the way he's played in this extra year, uh, do you think he'll be playing beyond St. Cloud, or do you think that his future is more um, in accounting where uh, he majored at St. Cloud State? You know, that, that's a great question. The year he's having right now, I, I think uh, if you talk to Fitzy itself, and it, 
I, I think there's always the inkling if you can be a professional hockey player and get paid for doing something you love, that you'll take that opportunity. And if he continues to play like this and has a strong second half and he's attracting interest at a higher level, and if someone presents him uh, a good contract, uh, you can only play hockey so long. And Fitzy's just a, a lovable guy. He's passionate. Teammates love him. We love him as a staff. He, he's everything you want. He works hard and off on and off the ice. He's a great student. You can always do accounting, uh, but you can't always be a professional hockey player. So I, I think if you ask Fitzy right now, at the end of the year, if someone's going to put a contract in front of him and you want to play professional hockey for a living for a little while, I think he'll take that opportunity. Yeah, and he's, he's a guy that, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, extremely lovable. Brett, before we get to Dave's uh, slew of questions, um, I guess on a scale of 1 to 10, um, how surprised were you that Kevin Fitzgerald decided to come back after, um, you know, about halfway through the season last year, he was like, nope, I'm going to be an accountant. Well, with Fitzy, it changed by the day, to be honest, at the end of the season. One day he'd come in and say he's coming back. The next day he's coming in and say he's leaving. Um, so I, I, I can't say I'm surprised. I think the, the biggest thing for him is he loves the guys that he's in the room with. And, and I think spending another year with those guys one out. And uh, it's a it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be a part of a group like this for him. And, and he didn't want to let that pass. And, and um, I, I can tell you this. You ask him now, though, on a scale of one to 10, how happy he is that he came back, he'll give you a 10. He said he's having the time of his life. And I think it's a it's really a good lesson for a lot of hockey players in general. I think Fitzy has just found that sweet spot of coming to compete, being who he is and enjoying it and having fun playing hockey. And I think there's there's always that sweet spot where if you can get into as a player, uh, that's when you're the most successful. And, and it's really fun to see Kevin get there. Yeah, and it doesn't help. Uh, he's having a pretty good season, too, uh, statistically as well, and a nice boost for you guys' group. Dave, it's your turn for some Brett Larson questions here. We're going to start with a coaching question here. Uh, Brett Larson coached six combined seasons at Duluth and is in his fourth season at St. Cloud. But from 2011 to 2013, he coached two seasons and was the general manager for which USHL team? Is it the Green Bay Gamblers, the Waterloo Blackhawks, the Sioux City Musketeers, or the Fargo Force? Sioux City. Okay. Cheers. One for one. Not even a hesitation. That was easy. (laughs) That was smooth. That was smooth. All right. Player question. After being selected 213th overall by the Detroit Red Wings, when was the last season that Brett had the skates on competitively? 1996, 97, 99, 2000, 03, 04, or 06, 07. Holy smokes, guys. That one's a tough one. (laughs) <laughs> Can you give me a hint? What team was it? Was it Europe or was it over here? Uh, it was the Florida Seals in the SPHL, six games. Florida Seals? Yeah. <laughs> you were hey, looking, you were looking. Know, by the way. I'll go with your very, I'll go with what was the first choice, the very last season. Was it 96, you said? Yeah, 96, 97 was the, the first choice, yeah. Uh, I'll, go with, I'll go with that first choice. It's actually the last one, 06, 07. Oh, okay. um, the Florida Seals, Brett Larson had a playing career for 11 different teams after Duluth. Brett, you said only six games. Is that because you were a, a grocery shopping stalker? Or what was it here? You know, what's funny is I took a sales job. We had bought a house in Florida after I got done playing in Europe. We we're going to try living down there. I took a sales job and that team was in town and they had a bunch of guys hurt and they asked if I could, uh, come out and fill in. I didn't even practice. I just play a game here and there. And the, my last game, I'll never forget it. Um, we, we, for whatever reason, I had only had white jerseys. I don't know if the other ones were in getting the letter and the other team 
back their wrong jersey. So both teams wore right white jerseys. And oh. I made a pass in a D to D play and just got smoked, got up, couldn't even move. I said, enough of this. Um, that's, that's it. I, I'm just going to go back to the office and call it a day. So my, my question for you, Brett, and this might be a little bit too forward. So feel free to get mad at me. Did you still have hair when you got hit? No, that was long <laughs> gone by that point. Um, but it was, it was, it, it was interesting. Cause I actually, my last real year of playing was in Basingstoke, England the year before that. And I was having a lot of neck problems and, and I'd get hit my, my right arm would go completely numb. And, and, uh, that happened in that game. And I remember thinking, Hey, this isn't worth the 200 bucks a game. These guys are giving me to, to come out. So that was, that was it for my very, very below average pro hockey career. Yeah, spent spent quite a bit of time. I believe in Denmark, I think, for a couple of seasons too, and that's uh, not a bad place, I would say, to play some hockey. But uh, nonetheless, speaking of hockey, Dave, your third question, current St. Cloud State question: Kevin Fitzgerald leading the team with a plus eleven rating on the season. There's only one other player who can match that plus minus for the season. Who is it? Is it Kyler Kupka, Micah Miller, Spencer Meyer, or Andre Trayball? Oh, I should know this one. Um... <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Micah Miller. It is Micah Miller. Congratulations. Micah Miller plus 11 on the season. Kyler Kupka plus seven. Andre Trayball is at plus six and Spencer Myers at plus two. So Nick, I know you got uh, another question here. So go for that. I think I also have a tie breaking question since the boys were so, uh, so good at the trivia piece here. So go ahead, Nick. Sure. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Coach Brett Larson, then I'll actually get uh, Dave's input too. But uh, the last fan question we have is, you know, what are some of the cities or maybe programs that are recruiting hotspots or they want to know what are some must stops in your recruiting tour throughout the state of Minnesota? Okay. Well, yeah. Well, first off, I was going to say, you know, St. Cloud's always been built first and foremost on Minnesota kids, uh, you know, local talent, um, guys from all over the state, to be honest. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because you, you do have some different pipelines, right. And, uh, St. Cloud's done good with local kids around here. Um, you know what, that Minnetonka pipeline for us with, with, uh, Andrew Prochno and Jimmy Schultz, uh, uh, Joe Molinar, Josh Lidkey, that's been a pretty nice one for the Huskies over the years and probably missing some guys even, but, but to be honest, it's, it's, it's all over the state and um, uh, Minnesota kids have, have been a huge part in this program, but you know what St. Cloud it's, it's funny because a lot of the things that they did in the past, they've been successful and we certainly wanted to keep going as well. They've always had a nice pipeline from Finland. Nick Oliver just got back from a 10 day trip over there. Uh, Western Canada has been good to the Huskies and we've got a couple really nice Alberta players right now. And, and, and obviously Dave's contacts in Manitoba. And uh, so we've tended to be Minnesota, um, obviously the USHL North American league, Western Canada and, and Finland have kind of been the, the spots for the Huskies. And Dave, I don't know if you wanted to build off that, uh, I suppose, you know, you being the, the recruiting master, is there any, uh, I suppose, any connections or pipelines that, uh, you like to tap into, uh, more than the others? Well, first of all, I'm not a master Recruiting's not a, not a master. It's, it's a group effort and no, just, it's just, uh, I guess, piggyback off what coach said is, our primary recruiting is in this area. And I'm just starting to get to know this area in terms of the high school hockey around here. There's an abundance of players. There's over 200 high schools in, in the state. And it's just a matter of filtering through that. And we've had a lot of good success and our history has been built upon those type of players in this area here. USHL is obviously, I think the best junior A league in, in, in North America. And then obviously the North American league, then Western Canada. So, and then Europe as well, obviously we've got a good pipeline, not just from Finland. We got, you know, obviously guys from Czech Republic, 
Andres from there, our goaltenders from Slovakia, uh, in Sweden, obviously we're tapping into that market as well. There's been an influx of Europeans, probably the last 10 years that want to use NCAA as an option. So we certainly want to take advantage of that. And then obviously I, I think the guys in Western Canada, where I'm from, they're getting more attuned to NCAA hockey and not going the major junior route to becoming a little bit more informed and in, in education, uh, more educational on our side. It was what we bring in terms of, Hey, if you want to play in the NHL, this is still a good option for guys to move on to the next level. 35% of the NHL's NCAA guys. So those, I would say those markets that we just mentioned are, 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 are primarily the ones that we're looking at. Um, but we always want to find the best available talent and it's our job to find them, obviously. Well, until you have a Mike Gibbons uh, driving past a couple of moose in Finland story, um, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see when you're fully qualified uh, to be St. Cloud assistant coach. But of course, I, I know a lot of friends say that part of recruiting sometimes the best you can do, just keep watching, just keep watching players and see if you can kind of pick out that little detail or that little skill that you can develop. Um, guys, I've only got the tie breaking question, then one more question for each of you. And it's the same question. So thank you again so much for joining us early on this Tuesday morning. Uh, the tie breaking question, I guess I'm going to kind of say, whoever can say it first it's a fill in the blank question um so best of luck guys uh whoever can get it first here question is nick oliver fourth round 2009 selection 110th overall which nhl team drafted him oh he got it (laughs) yeah (laughs) it is wow Dave, the, the better question is, did you know the answer? or I did, but I was a little bit slow on that. He was quicker. His coffee's better than mine. <laughs> that is correct. National Predators. I'm glad you guys both got it. You guys both did fantastic in trivia. Um, my final question for you guys uh, involves the holidays. Dave, I'm going to start with you. Um, I know you guys probably been on the road doing some recruiting. Uh, other than that, any big plans for the holiday? Anything special going on? No, we're, we're staying here. Uh, just happy, happy to stay here. Uh, obviously, my my family's back back in Canada, and with the with the unknown right now, traveling border to border, uh, we're staying put. My my wife's family's from Brazil. It'd be great to go to Brazil and experience that heat. But we're we usually just stick around here, uh, get on the ponds, and have a bunch of get-togethers on, on the ponds with the fire and with the neighbors and kids and whatnot. So we'll we'll stick around here, relax a little bit, and uh, just enjoy it with each other. You still have some get up and go, Dave, on the pond. What's the story? I, there? I do. I do. I do. <laughs> the boys still can't beat me yet, but they're getting close. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that guy, Sticker plays with our guys after practice most days. There's a heated three on three game, him and Ollie and a few of the other guys. It's, uh, it's pretty regular and, and he'll come in and he's full sweat, full body sweat. And he usually cross checked, uh, a guy or two in, in the battle and they got after it. And, and, uh, and you know what? The guys absolutely love it. I think it's uh, it's it's a really fun part of the culture that Nick and Chick still get out there and play with those guys and get after it. But he's he's ready for the pond games. I know that. Yeah, so, I got some help with some young legs with Nick Oliver and some of our other uh, other players out there. So, but it's a lot of fun, guys. It's a lot of fun. It's good exercise. So we'll enjoy it as a, as a family together and have a good Christmas, and then uh, back at it on the twenty sixth. 
All right. Well, um, of course, uh, Dave, we wish you the best. Uh, if we could ship you anything, we'd give you a 1995 Madison Monsters Brett Larson card and a puck signed by Mike Gibbons that says, good luck, see you never. Um, <laughs> there, there, actually, there actually is a 1995 Madison Monsters Brett Larson card out on social media. If you get a chance to check out SCSU Hockey Cards on Twitter, it is there and uh, the hair looks good, Brett. I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> Brett, how, how's the Christmas been and uh, what are you going to be up to the next couple of days? Yeah, I'll take the next few days off as well. It's it's been nice. We we have got some recruiting done. As Dave mentioned earlier, uh, we really enjoyed actually the the break practices and the and the small area game tournament we did, and, and I think the guys enjoyed it as well. It was fun for the coaches. The one thing that uh, that our guys will tell you though is they're never happy with the refing, which is us. Um, and there's a lot of controversy, a lot of apparently missed calls that they believe and, um, you know, a lot of guys not happy with our job as officials, but with that being said, we had a lot of fun with it. It was a really enjoyable time. Actually. I know the guys now are really enjoying some time with their family and we'll do the same. Uh, my wife and I are, are obviously both from up North there and, uh, we'll head back for a day, spend some time with the family, but then we like to get the kids back. My daughter's still young with get her, uh, uh, to bed on Christmas Eve and, and wake up for Santa on Christmas morning. So looking forward to just a couple of days off here. And like Dave said earlier, we'll be back on the night of the 26th for, for our first skate. Well, you should like your Christmas present. Of course, you're going to get a collection of Dave Shyack expressions. There's a couple of good ones on the internet of him staring down officials with the camera. So you're going to get a collection of those and the 1991 NMU national championship complete box set collection. So um, sounds good. Uh, Nick, you got anything else for the boys here? Uh, not at all. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so very much again for joining us. Have a happy and safe holiday season. Uh, definitely good luck in the second half, and we'll be catching up with you guys before uh, we meet you here probably a little bit uh, next week. So, again, happy holidays, and we'll see you guys again. Awesome. Thanks for Thanks, having guys. us, guys. Have Thanks great for having Christmas. us. Merry Christmas. And a happy Merry New Year. Christmas to you guys as well. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Once again, Nick, uh, what a blast to have uh, Brett and Dave. And in fact, if anyone gets a chance to check out SCSU hockey cards, those those pinstripe, whatever mighty smorgasbord jerseys that Brett was talking about, he actually mentioned to us after the show about how one of the incentives to win a hockey game, the coach said, uh, you guys get to keep your jerseys at the end of the year. And Brett was like, eh, it's not much of an incentive. <laughs> They're not that It was great. a bonus. Yeah, I guess the, the owner was was uh, kind of a frugal type as they many seem to be um, just ask the Omaha Lancers. Anyways, I settled jab. Um, but, but, but seriously, that I guess he came in with a serious face and he was like, you know, at the end of the year, if you guys, I think it was a playoff series. If I remember correctly, Noah, that if, so if you won the series, uh, they'll let you keep the jersey at the end of the year. It's like, well, that's not um, an incentive. But as you mentioned too, this the and if you haven't got a chance to check out the actual jersey, you should, because it, it looks like Yankees pinstripes, <laughs> mighty duck colors. It was, it was very nineties. It was very nineties. And yeah. even for nineties, even for nineties gear, the pinstripes, that was not a good look. So <laughs> have you ever, have you ever seen the styrofoam coffee cups where it's like, they've got the little weird, the, the purple and teal zigzags on the oh, styrofoam yeah. cups that imagine yeah. that, but like as a Jersey and there's your answer. Um, and having pinstripes run down it. Yeah. It's just yeah. not good. So <laughs> not good. The New York Yankees meet Barney. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Speaking of uh, things that are comical, like Barney, we're going to head on over to our extra ice session here to close out the show, Nick, and we're going to talk about our three wishes for the game of hockey in the second half of the respective season.
and welcome in the extra ice segment here on our Christmas special. Nick Maxson to my left, if you're watching the YouTube, or maybe he's on your right, if you're listening to audio, or maybe he's on both sides. I have no idea, but we're happy to be That'd here. That'd be scary I'm... as hell. <laughs> hey, you know, for somebody out there, it could be a dream day. I have no idea, but nonetheless, whatever. Noah Grant. Nope. Happy to be happy to be here on our Christmas special, and what a special day it is! We're going to talk about our wish list. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna scrooge the heck out of this, if you will, uh, and talking about our three wishes for the game of hockey. And Nick, um, why don't we start with you? And why don't we just kind of alternate one wish at a time related to St. Cloud State women's hockey, St. Cloud men's hockey, Minnesota Wild NHL, even high school hockey, whatever you want to talk about. What is your first wish? for the game of hockey as we move into January. This actually covers all of them. Uh, but I just wish that there are not a lot more shutdowns. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I hate that fact that it's end of 2021 and we're starting to have concerns that maybe this might happen again. Um, if there's, there's one thing that, you know, we touched a little bit with the two coaches, they haven't had any direct uh, communication from either the NCAA or the NCHC or the schools for that matter. But it wouldn't surprise me if there was not some type of communication, Noah, uh, and that's just not college hockey, but high school hockey, youth hockey, again, professional hockey, again, as we mentioned before, um, NHLers um, opting out of uh, participation in the Beijing Olympics. Um, a lot of that just due to if you get, you know, a positive test in a foreign country, you're spending a lot more time than you probably would like to there, you know, upwards of 45 days, I think is the max. I think it's some, it's somewhere between 21 and 45 days and just, just not a good situation overall. So, um, you know, you just hope that, you know, we, this, these variants, whatever it's, you know, um, Omicron or Delta, whatever new variants going to come along. Um, you know, this thing has been wreaking havoc on our world for almost two years now. Um, and in fact, it was right around two years to the date that, you know, this thing first started to rear its ugly head and, um, it's, it's made such an impact on us as a, as a society and, you know, for the, the game of hockey, especially, you know, the lower, um, tiers of hockey that just financially just can't really recover very well from these types of absences of, of, of influx of cash or whatnot. Uh, you know, you, you just hope that we don't get into a situation where, you know, it's, we're going to look at other shutdowns. I mean, even just the testing stuff, that stuff's expensive. That's not free. Um, that's, you know, what people have to understand is, you know, these institutions, whether it's schools or, you know, for conferences, you know, they put up a lot of money to have these athletes, uh, you know, go in and, and to play the game. And, you know, that, that cost is all shared by the schools. And, you know, if we, if we had to do that, you know, that's fine. But if we're looking at, you know, postponements and shutdowns, you know, again, the NHL uh, basically said, screw it with this week. You know, they said, mm-hmm. we're done with this to try to see if we can't just get this to pass by. Um, but I just kind of hope it doesn't get worse because if it does, uh, we could be looking at severe implications uh, for not only the game of hockey, but other sports in general. So I just hope that we don't end up in that situation again, because I think there could be a lot more longstanding ramifications to the leagues financially if, if it happens again. Yeah, especially when you don't have a chance to plan for it like we did with the NCHC pod. And it's kind of in that in that weird period, like it was back in 2020. Isn't that a weird phrase, by the way, back in 2020? Anyway, um, speaking of things that have stood the test of time, my first wish here, Nick, and it's largely on the men's hockey side for St. Cloud State, St. Cloud State, and it's a wish that it's a big ask. Um, 
I wish that people in social media would just chillax every time the Huskies don't do something absolutely perfect, man. I I know we've talked about this so many times, but wait, um, human beings aren't perfect in a way. Yeah. You know, there's so much ebb and flow that goes into a hockey shift, a hockey game, a hockey period, you know, a hockey season, um, you know, a weekend series, uh, yeah. Are there concerning trends that the Huskies need to clean up? I think there are every season. We saw the same thing uh, again. How many times we referenced the game when they get their doors blown off at Amsler Arena, the second to last week of the regular season. There will always be, the, always be those things. And there'll always be at different times, things that need to change in the regional tournament, things that need to change in the NCHC frozen faceoff. That's part of the game. And part of the, and part of it sometimes is we just got to sit back and enjoy the ride. And not that you can't be a casual fan or an armchair GM, so to speak. And, you know, have your opinion and have your take, but sometimes it's like, you know, I mean, we'll dissect it for you. You know, we'll dissect the good and the bad. Absolutely. You know, as well as more educated hockey pundits that are not us will do. Um, But sometimes you just got to sit back and appreciate it. And at the end of the day, be thankful that St. Cloud, um, you know, they have a good hockey team and one of the best, if not the best colleges in college hockey or conferences in college hockey, I should say, you know, so there's a lot of things to look forward to with St. Cloud hockey. Um, You know, and and, I mean, the stuff that's directed at like officiating or things like that, that's a little different. And I don't care so much about that for the most part, but I mean, the things that people are freaking out about sometimes are usually not that bad or usually quick fixes or things that the coaching staff will address. Cause trust me, if you see it, I guarantee you, Nick Oliver, Dave Shyak, Brett Larson, and the rest of the coaching staff and crew, and even the team, they see it too. And they'll go through it and they're doing their best to try to change things as well too. So um, yeah, relax on Twitter. Let's all be friends. Let's all be Caleb Peabody's man and have a little bit of fun uh, and, and enjoy ourselves uh, while we do that. Nick, number two on your list, what's in your wish list goodie bag? I wish that we could sprinkle some magic dust or magic glitter or whatever the heck it is that people do wave a wand at this women's hockey team. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, uh, there's a lot of really, especially off the ice, there's a lot of really great people in that organization. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time dissecting the on ice product um, and that's what we're here for. Right. But at the end of the day, these are great people outside the rink. Uh, that really care about the game of hockey. They really want to win. They really want to succeed. Um, yeah, and I just, uh, you do wish that whatever has to be done. Um, we, we talked about it earlier, but I just wish that there was just some way that they could just put it together. Um, it, it's like looking at, you know, this is probably the most terrible reference in the world, but, you know, getting, you know, those little like connect the dot things when you're a kid, right. Yeah. Where you, you can kind of see the picture, right. And you yeah. can kind of, you know, before you put, you know, a coloring pencil or a crayon to paper, right. You can and, kind of see what this is. And that, and then, and, it's, and then it seems like the little kid comes across the table and brings his crayon over and starts drawing all over top of it for this women's team. Right. And so and my point is, I mean, again, I'm not trying to compare, you know, them to, to, to the coloring book. What I'm saying yeah. is that you can see there's pieces in place. Um, you can see what they're trying to do. Right. And it just haven't been able to just connect all the dots together to make the image all one consistent team effort every single night. Um, Cause really, really to me, it's, it's, it's frustrating for us uh, as fans and, you know, uh, and for people who know, you know, some of the players and as well as the coaching staff, well, to, to see uh, some of these results that keep happening. Um, I can only imagine how they feel uh, the frustration, the emotions get to them. 
Um, there's no question about that, but you just kind of hope that, you know, it's almost like you wish for amnesia, you know, it's almost like you wish for someone just to kind of, you know, whatever it is, you know, you want to smack them in the head because I don't want Twitter to blow off on that. Then they're advocating for, you know, shots in the head because God forbid that would happen. <laughs> um, but <laughs> You know, where whether you just you have that short term memory loss or whether it's a win or a loss, you just forget about it and you can just focus on what's next. And, you know, when you get to the midway point of the season, one of the concerns that I think everybody has is everybody knows what their record is. Everybody knows where their strengths have been. Everyone knows where their weaknesses have been. Their weaknesses certainly outweigh their strengths right now. It's easy to kind of have this mentality of throwing the towel on the back and just sort of, you know, letting it ride the rest of the season. Um I don't wish that upon this team. Again, I, I really certainly hope that the coaching staff with between Steve, Molly, and Janelle can keep this team motivated to, to know that, okay, maybe, yeah, we're maybe not playing for right now, but we're playing for, for the future. Uh, we, we definitely, as, as, a, as a hockey organization, we still have to strive to be our best every single night. And, you know, again, I just, I think this women's team is more than, uh, than what they've shown. And I just really wish that there was a way to, to get them to, to show that for one game for 60 minutes, because I really do think it's, it'd be one of those character wins where I think they could build off of it. And then maybe we start to see something special. Yeah, I definitely agree. And like we've talked about, they had the tools we've been on the ice with some of the players and gotten to see what they do. And um, yeah, it's all there. The toolbox sometimes is just uh, missing a few tools on certain nights. Someone, some gremlin has come in and taken a couple of those pieces that um, are so vital to the puzzle on, on certain nights as well. So I definitely agree. My second wish I'm going to move over to the men's side here. I'm kind of wishing in addition to our, our cast of characters that has been so productive in the first half, I'm really looking for that guy or a pair of guys, whoever it will be to be kind of that person that catches lightning in a bottle in the second half, right? Looking for Vietti Mietnin to kind of have a repeat season of what he had last year. There's a guy that I really like to see, or even somebody, you know, a Kyler Kupka, a Zach Okabe that kind of finds that extra gear or two. And that's not to say, um, you know, all those guys have had great seasons, you know, to this point, they, they've done well, but everybody has that extra gear or just, you know, finding it where Kyler Kupka pops off for 10 goals in the last, you know, 12 or 13 games of the season, something where as you move into tournament time, you just have this performer that starts to, you know, put it all together at the right time or have a great second half. Um, you know, it, it can be more than one player, but I think, you know, especially like we met, talked about a player like Vietti Mietnin who has so much skill, who has a great release, who has, uh, you know, a great offensive upside to his game and just, you know, he's got 10 points in the year. He's having a decent season by all means, but certainly, you know, what if he's the guy that starts to become the primo scorer that we saw last year and continues to push that into the second half, starts to build on what he did last year. I think that's what the Huskies are, are waiting for is that guy that similar to how David Rennick has now been the goaltender to take over, you know, a hockey game. Now you might see a forward that's able to, you know, Zach Okabe the darn thing and pot four goals one night or Nolan Walker last year, the way that Nolan Walker played and was opportune at the right times looking for that guy that's going to be that that clutch game breaker if you will moving into the second half so nick that's my second one don't know if you agree with that or disagree and i'm curious on number three i agree with that um another player that i think uh we could see a lot of how about sam henches um mm -hmm. i think he could be a difference maker to the squad but when he returns, uh, you know, he's always kind of been a guy that can really, as the coach has said, can kind of be, uh, you know, sort of, you know, that kind of like that, you know, 
kind of like that light fuse, you know, where, you know, you can kind of, you know, you know, wind them up or whatnot. He can sort of change the momentum of the game with one shift. Uh, I think he's got that breakout type um, attitude. I think he has that to, you know, put the team on my back for at least a shift type of mentality and that type of his game. Um, and I hope he is good to go for Bemidji because that's going to shuffle some things around the lineup. And uh, I really think that uh, he could be another difference maker. We've seen that he's got some offensive skill set. He absolutely does. And, you know, if it's him and Miatna maybe on a line together, because as you mentioned to him, Miatna, if one shift, one shot, 30 seconds of the hockey game back in March is two yeah. inches, if not even that one inch lower, uh, we may be talking about how did the Huskies repeat instead of how they get their first national championship. Um, you know, there's just a, the hockey can be a game of, of inches or an inch, you know, per se, when it comes off the post. So I agree with that assessment. My last wish and this is concerning the Minnesota Wild. Ah, me too. Uh, <laughs> how about that? Um, and it's funny because we talked about this off air yesterday, Noah, um, and I've kind of thought about it a little bit. And I've kind of I've kind of changed my tune a little bit on this, but I think it's time for when one of them is healthy and one of them is, is I think it's time for the Minnesota Wild to to give Marco Rossi and Matt Boldy a look. I really do. Um, I know Matt Boldy's out injured. Uh, I'm not quite sure when his return is supposed to be. Um, but uh, for Marco Rossi, again, now with Jewel Erickson, uh, could be sidelined for a significant amount of time. Uh, we, we talked about some true centers that uh, that Minnesota could call up, and we know him as Connor Dewar. Uh, Marco Rossi, again, was there as well. So the question becomes, you know, how are they in the face-offs? You know, can they handle the NHL game? You know, how is Marco Rossi in terms of going up to the physicality of the NHLs and the command? Um, I do think that now is the time to give them a look. Um, I really do. I think, you know, Bill Guerin, I know, has been very protective of his young assets, and rightfully so. Um, but at some point, I think you also need to give these guys a shot. And I think Marco Rossi, with a half a season under his belt, at least in the AHL, um, with some help you're going to need down the middle. He's a playmaker. Um, he's a young kid. He's got some decent speed. Um, we know that we've seen some chemistry with him uh, in the preseason. I think he's built to play in the NHL. I think he's got all the right tools. But sometimes you just need to get a you know, trial by fire and maybe now after the holiday break maybe you come up you give him a game or two and maybe even if he sits in the press box for one or two you don't want to sit there too long but to try to give him a little sniff and see where he's at um, I think that will be a great opportune time uh, while the wild are in a comfortable position at least for now in the central division uh, maybe he's a spark that ends a four-game losing streak another while they're on after a seven-game win streak so that's my wish I want to see these guys come up get a sniff, see what they're made of, because I think they could be maybe that missing piece or pieces, uh, Noah, because this team does look good. Um, they had a little bit of a slump here lately, but again, as we mentioned before, all hockey teams are going to go through ebbs and flows or ups and downs, but you know, what I give these young guys a shot because unfortunately, as soon as next year, um, these younger, younger guys, which are making a heck of a lot less money, you're going to be probably light on a heck of a lot more than some of the guys that will be departing after this season. Final wish for me in the genie bottle, Nick, does concern the Minnesota Wild as well. Like you mentioned, sitting first in the Central Division at this time of recording Tuesday night, 19-9-2 on the season. You know what I want? I want the Minnesota Wild to win the Central Division, and I want them to win their first round playoff series. I want them to make this season. I want this them to make this season exciting. I want them to be the team that completes the regular season job carries that into the playoffs and shuts up all the haters that talk about how they can't win a division and can't win a first round series. I just want it to happen. I want it to happen so bad, Nick. <laughs> why stop there? But well, why stop there? I, I definitely, I definitely agree, but I just, 
those people on social media and you know who you are. Um, I want that to happen, you know, and I just want to, was that a voice change? I, I, I don't know what it was, but I want to see Minnesota sports fans have a Minneapolis miracle that actually is a miracle at the end of the day. I want that. I want that. I want a St. Paul miracle, Nick. I want St. Paul. I, can to I come rephrase down. that slowly? Yeah. I want to rephrase that slightly. Sure. And the reason why I want to rephrase this, we keep using the word miracle, which means shouldn't happen, which means yeah. all luck, right? Now, we you and I both know Minnesota fandom has been in absolute hell since 91. Um, yeah. ever since the Minnesota Twins um won their last World Series. Oh now, come on. Right? Oh come on. The Vikings have given us oh yeah, that's right. They've given us, you know, some some teasing. Uh, the WNBA, uh, the Minnesota Lynx, yeah. they've had some success. Uh, so I don't want to make sure we don't forget about them. They've won, was it three or four national titles there? Um, you know, but as far as, you know, the the other four, um, it's been dry. And, you know, I think at the end of it, a lot of the social media uh, craziness, I mean, think about 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, Jesus, um, where some of these people are. Um, and how many sports fans have grown up in the state and not experienced, um, you know, some playoff success from one of these teams. It's, it's been brutal. Um, it's, uh, and I think that fuels it. I really do. Um, the Minnesota wild right now are the most exciting team to watch. They're the team that has the most promise to do something, which means in true Minnesota fandom, they'll somehow have a 20 game losing streak. They will miss the playoffs and all hell will break loose. And then Kirill Kaprizov gets traded in April for Victor Rask's invisible twin brother and a seventh round draft pick. So um, that's just, that's just how these things go. But uh, at the, at the end of the day, that's um, what, no. that's why I want it to not happen. I want it to be where the wild put two 10 game winning streaks together and just snatch the entire Western conference and go four and zero in the first round playoff series against a team that they shouldn't have beat two years ago. I want it to happen, Nick. I want it deep in my bones. <laughs> yeah. To we all do. You know, we all to- do. And I, and I think there's, you know, the, the real, the funny thing is miracle aside, you know, on the reality, there's a chance that happened. You know, I, I, again, uh, yeah, this, 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 this isn't 2003, right? No. And, you know, there's some, there's some key pieces that are out again, yesterday, Jordan Greenway, Jared Spurgeon, still not ready to go. Uh, Jewel Erickson, again, leaving with an upper body injury that doesn't help either. Um, you know, so there, there's some key pieces that are not in the lineup. And, you know, when this team was fully healthy, they were pretty darn, pre, you know, pretty darn good. So I think on the back end, you know, once Spurgeon gets back, I think um, that will help sure up the defensive front quite a bit. Again, you know, Bruce Boudreaux, who is really, you know, you could say in a, you know, the snap of a finger, um, you know, Bruce, there it is, you know, thank you, Vancouver Canucks fans. Um, you know, he's really turned that uh, program around pretty quick and given the new fresh uh, breath of life. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be interesting if Vancouver stormed all the way back into the Pacific division, which could happen because that the division is pretty weak and face um, the wild who and just face the Minnesota the last, yeah. in the, in the first round. And, you know, just, just to troll us, uh, Bruce Brugel gets, gets the victory. We're calling it now here in the Huskies women's Us podcast. Uh, <laughs> In six games, Vancouver takes down Minnesota in, in round one. No, I'm totally kidding. Uh, but 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 in true, honestly, though, um, 
this team does have a chance. And, I, and, and, you know, going back to Spurgeon, he was the guy that he looked at as being, you know, sort of the barometer of the hockey club. Uh, Marcus Foligno, uh, you could also put him into that conversation too, especially now that's in Spurgeon's absence. Uh, you know, this is, this is an exciting group to watch. It's must watch hockey. Uh, for me, you know, again, watching Kaprizov, there's always, I get, you know, uh, I get, I get heart palpitations every time that Kaprizov, it, it touches the puck. Cause that's you just, just never know. That's just cause you're a resident of the nursing home, but that's a, whatever. I mean, that isn't, you know, the life alert, you know, telling me it's low battery and gave me two dips. That's not what that is, but um, it is reading something that is, you know, that, that is the heart point a little bit nuts because it is fun to watch. He does kind of make you hold your breath. And, you know, every time that he's out there, there's a chance you're going to see something you never saw before. Um, so it, it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, I'll say it that much, but yeah. uh, I don't think, and that's the best part. I don't think you have to rely on hope with the squad. I really don't. I think that they have a deep enough team where they will be a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs. I really do. And I think it's not a hope, but what was it a couple of years ago when we faced Winnipeg and we pretty much all, you know, kind of dismissed even the series before it even began. There was like this, the wild team just has no chance to be yeah. Winnipeg and they, the, and they got, was it five games and then they got yep. stomped? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And they got stomped in game five. The one that was painful for me was 2016, 17 when Eric Stahl went off, Minnesota was second in the league in goals four per game. And then they lost that, overtime game to the blues where jake allen played the one good game of his hockey career and that series that just was spiraled. game one yeah and they spiraled downhill and they just could not find a way back up unfortunately i think mike yo was still the coach at that point um but nonetheless yeah it was yeah he was uh in fact that was the game where i think it was the overtime winner uh i forget it was i forget it was a defenseman that scored Edmonton. two it was, yeah, it was Joel Edmondson that came out. It was a bit of a broken play. Um, yeah, it was like you know, a rebound. About yeah. Jake Allen uh, storming, uh, <laughs> uh, stealing the yeah. game away. He uh, had, he had I think the Wild put yeah. over 50 shots on goal yeah, in that he, game. He had 51 saves in that game, and that was the game that Zach Greasy scored that redirect with like 24 seconds left to even force overtime nonetheless yep. but uh and of course we were two years removed from almost going to game seven of the second round until stanchion gate happened thank you uh Ilya brisgolov and the one end of minnesota wildness but i don't know nick <sighs> happy thoughts and happy things to look forward here what do you got on the docket here i'll tell you penn state and boston university or syracuse january 1st and 2nd the women's team traveling out to pittsburgh for the battle of the berg here coming up on the men's side, Bemidji State University, it's a matchup. It's a home-and-home home, December 31st and January 1st, December 31st at the Sanford Center in Bemidji, January 1st, St. Cloud State, Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Won't want to miss it. Speaking of January 1st, Minnesota Wild will be playing the St. Louis Blues, hopefully, for the Winter Classic at that point. Yup, I know someone who's supposed to be in attendance there. I was also actually supposed to be in attendance there, but I know someone who definitely is supposed to be. I'm talking to the guy. Um, but before that, the NHL is supposed to resume December 27th. Um, the Winnipeg Jets uh, will host the Minnesota Wild if play does return for those 14 games in the National Hockey League. As far as we're concerned, Nick Maxson and I, we will not have a show uh, this upcoming uh, Sunday on the 26th. We'll be back with you on January 2nd. Just a reminder, on the 24th, Christmas Eve, and on the 31st, New Year's Eve, uh, or whatever it would be, I guess it would be Christmas Day and um, – uh, New Year's Day on those Saturdays. We will not have trivia for the next two weeks. So just keep that in mind. Nick, anything else to add for the show? Do I even add anything, honestly? You know what? <laughs> I enjoy having you around. And I think our listeners do too. I think the one thing that I will say, if you're listening, watching, wherever you're uh, 
perusing the Hussies Warming House podcast from Nick and I and the rest of the Hussies Warming House podcast crew, aka Nick and I, we wish you a happy and wonderful Merry Christmas and a safe and happy holiday.